the lawsuit that everyone in Silicon Valley was waiting for has finally dropped. Tuesday afternoon, literally, like right at 5 p.m. Eastern, Twitter fires off the first volley in what we all think is going to be like an epic legal battle against Elon Musk. Lizza Dawaskin is a Silicon Valley correspondent for The Post. She's been living and breathing this drama for months, ever since the world's richest man seemed like he was backing out of buying Twitter. And now that Musk has actually backed out, Lizza says the social media company is fighting back. Basically trying to force him to go through with his promise and what they believe is a binding legal agreement to buy the company. And this new court filing from Twitter did not hold back. The filing is very fiery. They're clearly pissed. Basically, they accuse Elon Musk of acting in, quote, bad faith. The way he acted was a, quote, model of hypocrisy. They basically accuse him of repeatedly lying, breaking promises, having, quote, disdain for the company that he was supposed to protect. And specifically, in terms of the reasons that Musk is trying to get out of buying Twitter, they basically say that the, uh, that the reasons that he claims just have absolutely no merit. In terms of fights between businesses, this is, yeah, this is like literally the most contentious, epic, you know, and it's not just for any business reporter, it's not just the story of the year. It's one of the biggest business stories ever because you have the world's richest person facing off against this massive social media platform that is our public square and influences our politics just months ahead of a major election. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi, in for Martine Powers. It's Wednesday, July 13th. Today, we talk with Liza about the fight between Elon Musk and Twitter, and why it matters for the rest of us. Then, later in the show, we'll hear from one of the scientists who worked on the James Webb Space Telescope. This week, NASA released the telescope's first photos of galaxies that formed in the very beginning of the cosmos. But I looked at that and thought, ah, that is going to teach us so much about how stars and planets form, as well as being just one of the most beautiful images I've seen. But first, I asked Liza about the tension between Twitter and Elon Musk and why Musk wanted to back out of the Twitter deal in the first place. Well, Musk, for a while, has been tweeting about bots and spam on Twitter, basically saying that, you know, Twitter has a certain number of users that come to its site every day and every month. And there is a number of those that are automated accounts, bots and spam. And Twitter has been reporting a number quarterly for years to Wall Street, estimating that about just under 5% of the accounts on Twitter they think are bots and spam. By the way, it's a similar number that Facebook reports. Hmm. Now, there isn't a lot of external auditing of that number, and there are a number of outside researchers that believe that that's a big underestimate. In any case, Elon Musk, after agreeing to buy the company, waiving his due diligence, and even saying that one of the reasons he wanted to buy the company was to take care of the spam issue, sort of reverses course in May and starts saying that Twitter had basically misled him and misled the public about the amount of spam and bots on its service and that he couldn't possibly go through with this deal. The deal had to be on hold until they disclosed the appropriate information. 
And the whole thing is weird because this bot issue has been around for a long time and Elon Musk has known it's around for a long time. He himself has even tweeted about it. And then also he specifically went through with a very, what they call a seller-friendly contract. So it was a contract that was very favorable to Twitter, including he paid a premium for Twitter, well above it's what its stock price was trading, or that's what he agreed to pay, bragging that he had all the money in the world. He is the world's richest man. So the whole thing is strange and does raise questions about, did he have buyer's remorse? What happened? And what Twitter's alleging is that, you know, look, the market has gone through a big downturn this year. Right. And Musk has lost over $100 billion in his own personal wealth. So despite being the richest man in the world, he's not as rich as he was, you know, back in November 2021. So Twitter is saying that he's basically disparaging them, trying to drive down the stock price so that he can get out of the deal. Has Elon Musk said anything about the complaint that Twitter filed calling his exit strategy a model of hypocrisy? Uh, in a particularly Elon fashion, he did address it in a tweet, but all he said was, oh, the irony, LOL. <laughs> More to come, I'm sure. Perhaps. I think so. When Musk pulled out of the Twitter deal, where did that leave Twitter as a company? How did that impact the company's bottom line? The market quite obviously thinks we're done here, right? The stock is down. If you don't get this deal done, the stock, I think, could be much, much lower. Quite clearly, investors are betting against. I mean, this has been, you know, a lot of companies right now, their stock prices have gone down because of the market. But Twitter has gone down considerably. And a lot of it is really related to Elon Musk news. Like when Musk first said he was buying the company, the stock went up. Twitter shares, they are surging right now up a little over 25%. This because Tesla CEO Elon Musk has now taken a passive stake in Twitter. That's going to a new SEC. There was this like euphoria. You know, Wall Street sees Elon Musk as having this Midas touch. And then as he's been increasingly disparaging Twitter, you can see these effects on the stock price because Wall Street doesn't think that the deal is going to go through. The longer this persists, the worse that fundamentals get. And so, you know, that's one of the things that Twitter's talking about in its complaint. It's saying like, look, you're supposed to be a steward of this company. You're our new owner. You promise not to disparage the company. And you're out there disparaging the company constantly. Um, and you're making us, you know, a shell of ourselves. I mean, he ha they have some strong language in there about it. What options are available to Twitter right now? I think Twitter has, a, from what I've heard, has a fairly strong case in this Delaware Chancery Court. So the case is going to this very, like, clubby, you know, kind of insular, unique court in Delaware that's just a business court. Other states don't have chancery courts. There's no jury. It's a judge. And these judges, they're called chancellors. They have enormous discretion in these cases. You can really tell how much that matters to both Twitter and Elon Musk because Twitter literally hired a law firm last week where one of the counsel in the law firm was a former chancellor of the chancery court. So clearly, like, they want to have the right relationships. They may have the upper hand because their agreement is pretty ironclad in the sense that Elon Musk did waive due diligence. In this chancery court system, the court has a history of forcing buyers to 
buy a company that they don't want to buy, particularly if they went out and purposefully hurt the company that they were buying in order to get out of the deal. There was actually a case on that last year. And the the judge, the chancellor that everyone expects will be the judge in this Elon Musk Twitter case was the judge in the case where she forced a company to buy this other company. How was all of this possible? Like it was this one guy who can tank stock prices, influence the market and a, and a company in such a huge way and potentially face no real consequences besides this lawsuit. The whole thing really speaks to the incredible power of billionaires in our society because Elon Musk is a person who's not just business motivated here, he's politically motivated or he has a particular political ideology. He wants to use Twitter to affect that ideology in the world and that can have enormous impact. So I just... It's really interesting to watch how Twitter, you know, he's kept Twitter on its on its toes the whole time. I mean, he he made this offer that was like a take it or leave it offer. He basically quietly bought up all this Twitter stock so that he became the largest shareholder. So that essentially, even if Twitter said no to the offer, he would be able to do a hostile takeover. So he was like, you know, playing three-dimensional chess with Twitter <laughs> the whole time. You know, I'm wondering, as someone who's been covering this, why do you think people should care about what happens with Elon Musk and Twitter? Especially, I'm just thinking about how a lot of people are not on Twitter. So why is this big corporate fight between this massive corporation and this billionaire consequential for the rest of us? Even if you're not on Twitter as a platform where influencers, politicians, journalists, it's a platform for public figures and it's a platform where news happens, even without its biggest figure of Donald Trump, who was kicked off after January 6th. But Twitter and the conversation on Twitter has a big effect on what we see in the news, what happens politically, in fact, because so many powerful people are on it and they can broadcast to their audiences or they can see what their peers are saying. It's where the public conversation happens. That's a slogan of Twitter's, but I think it's true. And even though a lot of people aren't on it, because of the, the high-profile nature of the people who are on it, it can often make news. Right. And so you have an owner like Elon Musk who went and basically said he believed Trump's accounts should be restored to the platform. He has made comments that increasingly align him with right-wing forces on Twitter. And we're, we're just months ahead of a consequential midterm election. You have this right-leaning libertarian billionaire who's poised to meddle in the public square. And that is essentially the the risk and what's at stake in Elon Musk buying Twitter. Right. You know, Twitter is a massive marketing department for powerful people and influential people, whether it's political people, whether it's crypto bros, <laughs> whether it's CEOs, there's a reason these people are on the service. It's a marketing machine, even if it's an echo chamber. And so to me, if the owner is politically motivated or self-interested for their business interests, then they have the ability to push certain content to the fore. It's seeing the public square as this massive marketing machine. You know, it's when people talk about Jeff Bezos buying the Washington Post. But from what I've heard, Bezos has not intervened in the editorial decisions of the Washington Post and has been pretty hands off. Now, the audience on Twitter is much bigger than the Washington Post. You know, so these are the the media barons now of 2022, of our day. And imagine if those media barons, they don't want to be hands off. 
They want to deeply influence the outcome of, of public statements, of, exp of expression on service. And I believe that Elon Musk has a strong interest in that. Lisa Dwoskin is the Silicon Valley correspondent for The Post. This story was produced by Jordan Marie Smith. After the break, the wonders of the universe, as revealed by a $10 billion telescope. We'll be right back. In-laws, love them or hate them, you're pretty much stuck with them. And when you're a ruler in the Middle Ages, that can be a serious problem. It might even land you dead. I'm Dan Jones, and on season four of This Is History, I'm telling the story of England's weirdest king, Henry III. He's in way over his head, and he's surrounded by bloodthirsty relatives with their eyes on his throne. To listen, search This Is History and follow wherever you get your podcasts. You've probably already seen them, the stunning photos released earlier this week by NASA from the most powerful telescope ever created. They even stunned the scientists, the ones who actually worked on this telescope. Every now and again, I get this feeling I need to pinch myself and, and say, you know, just this has really happened. And after 30 years of this, did we really make this work? So there's an unreal sort of feeling, a surreal feeling about this. Garth Illingworth is an astronomer at the University of California, Santa Cruz. He started working on the James Webb Space Telescope back in 1987. Now, decades later, he gets to see the images from what he helped to create. The images that uh, we've seen are beautiful, are dramatic. But what struck me was, as I was looking at those images over that hour, was that in those images there is more new science than I have ever seen in my life in a one-hour period. This telescope is six times larger and 100 times more powerful than the Hubble telescope. Webb is currently traveling in outer space about a million miles away from Earth, and its specialty is capturing infrared light. These new images show us faint infrared light emitted by galaxies that existed as far back as 13 billion years ago. In one image, we see, with some hazy details, what scientists call Stefan's Quintet, a cluster of galaxies dancing together. In another, we can see a flaming orange cloud called the Carina Nebula. The, the amazing image that showed of the Carina Nebula, where there's this almost three-dimensional picture of all the dust and so on, and the stars around there, and the gas shooting out from being heated with the stars, and the forming stars. It, it is such an amazing image. But I looked at that and thought, ah, that is going to teach us so much about how stars and planets form, as well as being just one of the most beautiful images I've seen. And so, you know, my colleagues were just ex same thing. The, the, the emails coming in were, these are amazing. This is beyond what we ever expected. And, you know, it's just an emotional 
emotion, you know, it's a feeling that I certainly share after watching these. Everybody saw it. it was a broadcast live from NASA, a release of just a few days of images from Webb. Images and some spectra as well. Spectra is where you spread the light out and you actually gain much more information about the objects you're looking at, the galaxies, the stars, the planets, everything by looking at the spectra. So Webb has wonderful capabilities for spreading the light out and gaining a lot of very detailed information. There's going to be a frenzy of astronomers feeding on this data and trying to get science out and it can go for months and this is just for four or five days worth of data. So Webb is going to be a game changer in terms of what we can learn about the universe in so many areas, from planets, our solar systems, stars in our galaxy, out to nearby galaxies, and out to the furthest reaches of the universe where we'll be looking at galaxies as they're being born. Maybe like you, when I saw these photos for the first time, I was rushing to meet a deadline, juggling a packed schedule, and then all of a sudden, all over social media, boom. Here are some galaxies you've never seen before. It really put things into perspective. I think we have a deep-seated feeling that we want to understand our origins. And that can be, you know, sort of very local in time. It can be back to, you know, how the Earth formed, how life grew on the Earth, how planets formed, how, you know, and then you go out into the universe. How did our Milky Way grow? So the origins, I think, is something that is a deep-seated feeling amongst everybody who wants to understand where we came from, sort of where the universe is going, how, how it all works and so on. Garth Illingworth is an astronomer at the University of California, Santa Cruz. This story was produced by Natalie Bettendorf. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Sean Carter and Rennie Svernofsky and edited by Rena Flores. This kind of reporting is only possible thanks to the support of Washington Post subscribers. Become a subscriber today and get the next year of news for just $40. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.